0: your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn them uh, with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, you should find uh, one there in the seat in front of you. It looks like this, and if you're in that version, uh, you're going to be on page 401. Uh, If you don't have a Bible uh, at all, again, direct you to our resource library. We have sacks of Bibles over there. Uh, Please, please take one. Uh, that's, That's our gift to you. So, Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Before we even get into this, I I think it's so uh, funny, and and maybe uh, for many of you, this is your first time in the book of Nehemiah. Others of you, maybe you've uh, read it once or twice before. Others, uh, this is uh, the umpteenth time that, that you've visited this book Uh, heard it marketed, maybe you have books on your shelf not only containing Nehemiah in the Bible, but books based on Nehemiah. Uh, I I can't tell you how many books that I have seen uh, that market Nehemiah and market a study in Nehemiah as a book on leadership. And absolutely, there are uh, leadership skills to be gleaned and and developed here, uh, but there are ways in which we can simplify books of the Bible or, or stories within it. Uh, to simply, for 19 99 I'll give you my eight principles on leadership that we find in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we, we boil uh, entire stories and lives of people uh, into something that we can market to benefit ourselves. That we oversimplify at times themes and structures and books to what is digestible. And we miss some of the, the nuance, the, the beauty, and frankly some of the difficulty that's in these passages as well. And that's the kind of passage that we see here at the beginning of chapter 5. We're not talking about Nehemiah as leader against the opposition uh, there outside of the walls or, or Nehemiah as the governor who, who cries out before God, uh, this man and, and the leader who is, who is responding in these ways. And no, instead we're, we're turning within the walls. We're we're turning to see corruption and sin on some of the highest levels. And we still see principles of leadership here, but what we see even more so is that because our God is a just God, that we as his people are called to reflect his justice in our finances, in our community, in our worship. So let's see what, what Nehemiah Uh, lays before his people in verses 1 through 13 of chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain so that we can eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for a king's tax on our fields and in our vineyards. And now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. And yet, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, and it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And I took counsel with myself. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we are as far as we are able. Have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations but you even sell your brothers so that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. And so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses and their percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore this and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all of the assembly said amen and praised the Lord. And the people did as they we see in this, this chapter, these uh, or the first part of this chapter, the first 13 verses, is that there is corruption in the capital. That we pause from the building of the walls, from the opposition of Sanballat and, and of Tobiah, uh, we, we pause in, in really why Nehemiah has, has come to this city, has returned home for this purpose. Because what we see is instead that there is a, a new opposition. That the opposition that we see here isn't simply uh, those who hate the Israelites. It is actually the Israelites themselves. That those in Jerusalem are apparently... Uh, Charging interest. And what we see is is these three groups that that come together Uh, those that are uh, landless and they need food, the landowners that are mortgaging their food or their fields, rather, in order to to buy food, and this third group of those who have done all of that still have food, uh, still have need, and so instead they actually begin to sell their own children into slavery. This heartbreaking situation and what we read here and we, we wrestle through this and we say, what, what, is, what is actually happening here? How, how do we understand this uh, through the, the lens of, of our society? What does this, this look like? Is it, is it simply loan interest? Is it taxation without representation, right? Is this uh, fitting following 4th of July, but this outcry is coming from within the walls and it's, it's something a, a little different than that. It's something a little more than that, a little more outside of what we understand as, as normal loan interest, normal taxation. Now, this outcry from within the walls is economic exploitation, right? They're exploiting and oppressing the poor and the struggling. What we see is that the best lens from which we can see this today is predatory Predatory lending, uh, Tom Strode explains or often called payday lending, often draws poor people into deep debt by charging exorbitant and often misleading interest rates. For example, through an interest rate, though an interest rate may be portrayed by the lender as 15%, it may actually only be that for a two-week period until the person's next payday, the annual interest rate here in the United States. And payday lending is typically about 400% of interest, making it extremely difficult for a borrower to repay the loan. So maybe many of you have seen uh, payday loan uh, offices or businesses here in our city. Maybe some of you have uh, been a victim uh, of this. What we're talking about here is not simply interest. It's not simply, yes, I'll give you what you need, and when you give it back, I want you to give me 3%, 5%, 15%. What we're talking about, uh, the word is usury. And that's an extreme interest of 50% or more. It's oppression in every sense of the word, and it is unjust before God. What we see is, in, even in this book, we see a, a different word altogether that the struggling has turned into suffering, that the landless are in need of food, that those who, who do own land are mortgaging fields or even selling their children into slavery, and it is a clear break from God's care for the poor. What we see is Ed read from Deuteronomy 23. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money or on food, on interest of anything that is lent. And he goes on to, to lay out that our word is our bond and that we are raising this and care for one another. Uh, what we see in, in Israel's history as, as the law has laid out is that even where there is loaning or, or lending of these fields or of grains or whatever it might be, uh, that this is only for periods of, of seven years. And every 50 years, this idea of jubilee, of release, of freedom, of the return of uh, without interest, but not only that, but but care for the poor that are there. Beyond that, even beyond lending, that uh, those who planted their vineyards and their fields, when they would go to harvest, they were to stay away from the corners. They would go through just once. And so anything that was dropped, anything that was left behind, the corners of the field, those were left so that the poor could go through and gather grain to eat. This is what we see in in the story of Ruth As Ruth goes into Boaz's field. She follows the workers and she is there collecting the grain. This isn't that that Ruth was especially, uh, you know, intuitive or was just this kind of, uh, you know, clean-minded kind of, uh, of an entrepreneur instead. No, she's following what God has set out, that God cares for the widows, and so he established in Israel this way for them to be cared for. And what we see now is we, we fast forward to Nehemiah, the people have been exiled, they've abandoned God's law, he's punished them, and now he's bringing them back, and they're refusing to follow the care that led them into exile to begin that they were oppressing the poor, they were oppressing the widow, they were oppressing the immigrant and the hopeless and struggling people of their nation. And instead, they're capitalizing on them. They're, they're charging them interest that they can no, in, in no way be able to pay. We, we see also in Exodus twenty two twenty five 25, that not only are, are they not to charge interest but they're supposed to care for one another. In every other place here in, in Exodus 22 or in Deuteronomy 23, uh, there, there's one word. It's neshek, right? Neshek meaning uh, just a, a simple interest. Here is the loan. Here's the percentage that you pay back. In Nehemiah, uh, we're, we're talking about a, a different word altogether. Of This is the, the usury. This is something that is above and beyond what was even possible to return. This is a hopeless debt. There's no way to pay it off. And he contrasts it with the fight to return from exile. So this is the situation that Nehemiah is saying. He's saying, we're building up these walls. We're going to protect these people. And in many senses, the greatest danger is not from without, but from within. Isn't that the case so often in our lives? where we're so on guard of the things that are out there that we neglect the sin and depravity of our own hearts. And it begins to wreak havoc on our relationships, on the ways that we spend our time or our money, on every aspect of life, what is expected to be in Christ but they become whitewashed tombs, and there's death inside. And so what is the call? What is the response we see in verse 6? Nehemiah hears the outcry. The outcry here is not just of of one or two people, not just one or two families that are suffering or falling victim to this. It says in verse 1, there is a great outcry of the people and their wives that all of the people, the family unit is responding and and calling out against the justice. And Nehemiah hears of it in verse 6. He says, and I was angry. Up to this point, we've seen Nehemiah weep. We've seen him rejoice. We've seen him stand fast. And now we, we see him turning to anger. And this is not sinful of Nehemiah. Rather, this is a just anger. As he calls to justice... He calls to God. Out of exile, they've, they've cycled back into sin. And there's no exceptions of leniency of, oh, that's fine, or it's, it's wrong or unjust if the nations do it, but Israel, you, you, get, to, you get a pass. You, you get a slide, you, you get an exception, you get leniency, because you are God's people. No, instead what we see is the opposite, that sin is sin in every case, and that God's people ought to be held to a higher standard. This is the the cause of religious hypocrisy, that so often it receives the rebuke of Christ. You see Christ stooping down and being gentle with the prostitute or the tax collector. And it's the Pharisees that come in, who he calls brood of vipers. How many people have you heard say, I don't go to church because it's just full of hypocrites? And I I don't think that they're leveling a critique in that we're all broken people and we're all seeking help. And so it's not that the church is a hospital and that's where sick people go. It's instead those who flaunt holiness in a way that they haven't. Not only deserved, earned, or merited, but they think is impossible for everyone else. That we ought to be the ones who extend grace because we are the ones who know it firsthand. That we know how broken we are. And so we respond to brokenness appropriately. So when we, we see sin, we're not harsh in the sense that we are crying out for the wrath of God. But rather for the grace of God. that we And so Nehemiah sees sin. He sees oppression happening, not just of of the nations, not just of those that have been exiled, but here within the walls. He is angry that those who would call themselves religious are oppressing their brothers and sisters. That the walls are full of hypocrites who know the grace of God but fail to extend it to one another. So how does he respond? Verse 8. We, as far as we are able, have bought back back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you sell your brothers so that they may be sold to us. The thing that you are doing, in verse 9, is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? calls them to fear the lord that that here in this call to justice his his anger is is not simply that sin is happening it's not simply that this is an economic issue he's saying that you are failing to see what god is doing god is is just he's unchanging he calls his people to be holy as he is is holy It's not simply that, yeah, Ezra fixed the temple, and so now we can go to church. No, what we see in this passage is is that God cares about money. It's not all that he cares about, but he he does care about it. He cares about the community. It's not all that he cares about, but he does care about it. That, That God cares about justice. It's not all that he cares about, but he does care about it. that God has has called them into relationship and covenant with himself. And that it's not limited to a Sunday morning. It's it's not limited to when they're in the temple. But, But God, when calling us to be a people, to imitate and reflect him to the world, expects that that imitation and reflection would be more than just a worship service. That it should show itself in the way that we spend our money. And the way that we ask for its return. For the way that we relate to one another in community. For the ways that we care for one another. For the ways that we speak and live out justice. So what this means is that when we look at this passage and we look at the Proverbs and the Psalms and, and so much instruction in the law and in the New Testament that talks about stewardship. Stewardship. This idea that that God cares about money. He cares about the way that we spend money. He cares uh, about us not being in debt, of of using our our finances for the kingdom, for for our care for one another, for sustaining ourselves. Absolutely, he cares about this. But the church is, is not simply or exclusively Financial Peace University. This is this is not a Sunday school where we, we come and say here is how you can budget and here is how you can do these things. Absolutely we can and, and should teach these things. We, we lay out the principles that, that scripture has given us but even more than that we care for one another deeply in a way that raises the whole community. That Nehemiah's concern isn't simply that they were uh, not balancing their checkbooks. It's that they were imbalancing the scales of justice. That they were oppressing those that they were called to care for. And so this call to justice is not simply you should feel bad, or you should fear the Lord, or this is not good, but it's that they would fix it. It's that they would make restitution. That they would reflect the nature of God, not picking where they do or do not show justice, but that they would care for the orphan and the widow. That they would care for those falling traffic trafficking, those that are... Corrupting the nation, that they would abandon these principles and instead return to God. That our repentance is not just a, a heart change, but it's one that is followed by action and repair. Notice he even seals them with the promise of the priest. That we would steward what God has given. Whether it's the money that you've been given, the gifts that you've been given, ultimately everything that we do is for God and his kingdom. And so what I I don't want to do is just to say, God asks you to care about money. You should go home and care about money more. Okay, I don't don't know what that looks like. Uh, But instead, just to to put a helpful tool in front of you. Greg, would you put the the chart up there? Uh, This may be hard to see, especially some of this fine print, uh, but the the website is there. And uh, if you don't have access uh, to a computer, I'm happy to print this off for you. Uh, But the website is moneywiselive.org. But this is just on their website. This is not a give us $30 and we'll show you principles for, for living. They, they have links for, for coaching and that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I think this is just particularly helpful of what does God call us to do? What do the principles of scripture ask us to live out? And what you'll see is that big circle around the, the side, the top, it says, God owns it all. That, that's the very first thing that you need to know is that that's what stewardship is, is that we are stewards of what God has given us. The money that you have or don't have right? It has been determined by God. The gifts that you have or don't have have been determined by God. Not to lament and say, I wish I was like this person, or I wish I had that much money. But instead to say, this is what I have. God owns it all. How am I going to use it? And so they just divide it in in kind of this experiencing financial freedom as the target, the goal uh, levels one, two, and three as you you move towards this. Uh, But these principles of, of living and Growing and giving and owing. And so to live in principle, spend less than you earn. And giving, that we would give generously. Owing, that we would avoid the use of debt. And growing, that we would build savings. And so they, they lay out this, this plan for tracking your monthly spending and repaying uh, debt and, and giving and then moving to percentage giving or sacrificial giving. Moving from tracking monthly spending to eventually Uh, lifestyle finish line, saving for retirement, invest in goals and repaying mortgage and and all the rest and just these practical steps to say, I don't know what to do with my money. What does scripture ask? Uh, This is a a pretty helpful tool. It's not the the only one by any means. We also partner with ministries like Love in the Name of Christ that are doing uh, benevolence ministries here in the city. And it's also there are times and ways that we can just care for one another. And so what I, what I don't want to say is just God cares about money, go and do it better. <laughs> but instead to say there, there are tools out there that equip Christians to, to live out their faith as, as God has called them. That God cares about your money. But God doesn't only care about your money. That more than that, none of this is, is possible or even beneficial if you're storing up for yourselves treasures on earth, even if you're helping others, but your heart is still corrupted by sin and you spend eternity from Christ. It's great that you can pay off your mortgage. There are many that have have done it and do not know Christ. I would rather see you in crippling debt as a victim here of usury and paying back 400% of interest and spend eternity with Christ Then have billions of dollars at your disposal. But be separated from him. Those aren't the only options. We can walk a middle ground. We can walk with Christ. Use the gifts that he has before us. Steward what he's been given. And care for one another. That this call to justice isn't simply that we should care about finances. It isn't simply that we should care about how God has given us money or hasn't. But that in all things, that we would conform ourselves to His holiness. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. Nehemiah lays out the charges before them, and how do they respond? We will restore these things. We will require nothing from them. We will do as you say, and I called the priests and made them swear to do as they promised. He, he sees this as related to the faith. And then verse 13, and I shook out my fold. Right, he, he empties his pockets effectively. And he says, and so may God shake out every man from his house and from his work who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the people said, amen and praised the Lord. And they did as they had promised. That we would conform ourselves to the holiness of God. That we would imitate him here. They, they see the charges, they lay it out before them, and there's no presumption or negotiation. There's no, oh, that sounds nice, Nehemiah, but what if, what if I just give back what I've taken, and then we just call it even. Now we, we meet the terms that God has given Because they are for our good and flourishing. That moral absolutes at times can be inconvenient. But God calls us all the way in. And we see it and we follow it. And there are ways that we can look at these passages and just overly spiritualize it and say, yeah, God I'm sure cares about about money. But what I really think about this is that He's talking about exclusively my heart. He doesn't really care how I spend my money, my time, or my gifts. Bede reflects on this, he says, we do not need to scrutinize the allegorical meaning, but instead observe the literal meaning of the text by performing it as diligently as we can, namely, so that quite apart from the daily fruits of almsgiving or or of gratitude or, or beneficence, that we should take care, not only to give poor people what we can, but also to forgive that tribute which we have been accustomed to exact from our subjects as though by." in order that the Father might forgive us our debts too. Meaning that we can over-spiritualize it and, and then hold all of what God has given us to ourselves as if he doesn't own it. Or we can say, God has created me and gifted me to be about his kingdom and live it out in that way. That there would be a willful obedience that we would say, we will, restore, we will do, as you say, we will do this thing. To recognize that there are consequences if we fail to do it. That God would shake out every man from his house and from his work who does not keep this promise. This misplaced surprise here is injustice of grace. They expect the grace of God. Instead, he said, they say, we do it. And Nehemiah doesn't say, thanks, great guys, that's awesome. Instead he says, and if you don't, if you go back on this, you'll be exiled again you'll be shaken out from God in a way that is worse than exile, not just of of loss of, of uh, of your house, but the loss of God's house, that you would be far from God's presence, that you would be far from God's purpose, from his house and his work, that we would be exiled as we conform to holiness this willful obedience that have consequences recognizing that we're in on his terms or we're out altogether the response to grace is to praise the God of justice all of the assembly said amen and praised the Lord that our response to to grace is not and and this is not the call of this sermon to, to make sure that we we tithe or we give or that we care or encourage. But that we would worship. That we would be here with God himself. His presence and his work. Because the opposite of this is true. For those who fail to do this are shaken out from his presence. They're shaken out from his work. What that means is that if we do it, That we are held fast in the garments of God, in in the pockets of God. We We are close to his person. We are there in his presence. We are a part of his work. He is using us for his will, for his glory. And we get to know him. To walk with him. That ultimate justice rested on Christ. That this is the the debt and forgiveness and justice that we see in this world. So if injustice is, is happening here in this world, take heart that God is a God of justice. That he will pour out his wrath on those who deserve it or on Christ his son. And that because our God is a just God. We must reflect his justice in our finances, in our community, in our worship. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are on your throne, Lord, that you are a just God. Father, that where there is oppression and injustice, Lord, on those who are struggling, Lord, on the orphan and the widow, Lord, on the poor, Lord, on the immigrant, Lord, that you see them and you have called us to care. Lord, let us steward well what you have given us. Lord, let us seek to imitate you in this world. Lord, make us like Christ. Lord, let us conform to your holiness, person, and character. Lord, we love you, and we are unworthy. Lord, thank you for grace. God, we pray these things in the saving name of Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as I grab a helmet.